everybody, welcome to On Grade. This is episode 11 on Brandon Weinlein. And tonight, Devin is in studio. He's not sick now. <laughs> Came back from the dead. <laughs> and we got our uh, one of my good friends from over the years. I got Kenneth Barkov in here. And Ken's going to be helping us out with tonight's episode. Uh, we're talking about best equipment to start an excavation company with. So, Kenneth, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it. Nice to meet you. You it's, too, man. Uh, you do. It's going to be a fun show so far. Yeah. Based, so. on, the, based on the preamble. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ken, uh, tell us a little bit about you, man. Tell us your background. Uh, see, I got, uh, got out of the uh, high school in 94, went in the Army, and uh, did uh, seven years and some change. Got hurt, medically discharged. Uh, got into construction in uh, 2002 and started on the north end of a southbound shovel. And for people who don't know construction, what that means is I was the lowest of the lowest laborer. Like the laborer that was hired yesterday, I was now the new laborer. And so uh, I started there and, uh, you know, worked my way into an operator. And it's funny, you know, you always hear people say in this industry, a lazy laborer makes a good operator. And that truly wasn't how I got there. I was actually a pretty hard worker, late working laborer. I mean, I just come out of the army, right? What it truly was is I was fascinated at the equipment. You know, how does it work? How do you know where to start from and how to go to? Why are you doing it that way? You know, and, and it doesn't take long when you sit there and look at something and you really get into it to figure out that there's an art to it. And, and uh, you know, selecting equipment and running equipment and being able to go from A to B with that equipment is the key to success in our industry. Yeah. So when I started up, I started with a 95 Kubota and we had a rental roller and I was not smart enough to get attachments because I didn't know to do that in the deal back then. So <laughs> I set myself up for real success when I had to roll something and I didn't have a roller. And then I go, oh, wow, they actually sell a roller attachment. Man, I could have financed that in the deal. <laughs> oh, they have a box blade attachment with lasers on it? Oh, that could have been nice. What? I'll get great financing rates when I finance the attachment <laughs> with the piece of equipment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the funniest thing was that when we started, we literally just started with a rental skid steer. And we made it work. So, um, And we rented a dozer. And whenever we had a bigger job, we just rented. You know, we rented the bigger stuff we needed. I think that's smart to do when you're starting out. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> One of the things I would say is that when you're starting out, make sure that you're going to be good at this. Make sure that this is something that you want to do forever. It is not for everybody. Nope. Uh, it is, this is a very, very uh, tumultuous environment, and it is undulated uh, beyond belief with, with uh, issues and problems and things that you have to kind of work your way through. So, um, you know, the rental thing is definitely the way to go. As far as... Um, you know, in my, you know, my experience of what you guys are talking about with buying, with buying equipment and attachments, that's a very, very slippery slope. We all know because you're sitting there and, you know, there's this excitement. I just oh, bought yeah. my first brand new tractor. Well, now I need the selfie attachment for my excavator boom so I can stick it way out here and take a picture of myself with my excavator boom with a selfie. And, of course, that's not, that's not accurate. But, you know, you can certainly get down a lot of rabbit holes with attachments that are not necessary just because of the excitement of it and there's 15,000 20,000 mm -hmm. 30,000 and of course that now is a monthly fee that you're going to pay so when you buy attachments you know you just really want to make sure that's something that you're going to get value add and, and one of the ways to do that is to really figure out and calculate the amount of time you're going to need it for before you buy it 
Do oh, I need this? How much do I need it for? And is it cheaper to rent for the next year? Or is this actually a value-added decision to buy this now? Well, and I think that's the thing. That's where rentals come in is you can get into it. You can start renting stuff and see what you're going to use a lot. I know myself, second machine I bought, I bought a mulching attachment with it. In my, in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of mulching. I'm going to do mulching with the excavator. I did three jobs. I think sat in the shop for a year collecting dust. <laughs> then we did a couple odd jobs here and there. I just actually sold this thing a couple, about a month ago. I finally was like, ah, I'm getting rid of this thing. <laughs> Plus side is I got more money for it when I sold it than when I bought the damn thing. But that doesn't always turn out to be the case. But uh, yeah, exact prime example, you know, have an idea of what you're going to use and what you're going to do before you go buying every attachment you can find for it. At the end of the day, Sometimes it's better to be looking at it than looking for it. And if you can't get it, and you can't always rent just about every attachment, there's some specialty stuff that you just can't rent or it's hard to rent. You know, so there is that consideration for it too. But in the beginning when you're starting out, you know, we made that joke that, yeah, you can finance attachments with your equipment, you buy it. And there is stuff that's going to make sense to buy, but uh, don't finance everything just because you can. You're not always going to use it as much as you think you are and until you're into it and doing it you know, it, it can be a very well, a big waste of money and just another payment that could be going towards another machine or something yes. else that you're going to use, you know, so until you really know what you're going to get into, I think renting to start is the best way to go. The first year I was in business, I rented everything. Didn't own a damn machine until the second year in business. Then I went and bought a mini hoe because it was, you know, what we used. When I started in my head, if you had asked me, I'm going to buy a skid steer because that's going to be the most handy thing. I didn't buy a skid steer until I was my third year of business when I was renting a skid steer more often and spending more money on rentals than I would on the payment of owning it. That's Correct. that's when I decided, okay, we'll buy a skid steer. And I mean, when you get into big stuff, like what you're into, you got to look at utilization, you know, until you're actually get that 65, 70% utilization on a piece of equipment, it doesn't necessarily make sense to own it. You that's know, exactly right. There's always gray areas and back and forth where you can say, you know, you can't get it or it's not available and it's going to hinder your operation. Well, okay. Then owning it makes sense. But if you don't have the utilization for that piece of equipment and you can just go down the road and rent it tomorrow, well then, then it doesn't make sense to buy that piece until you're at that utilization point. And, uh, at the end of the day, if you can't rent a piece of equipment and make money on it, you're doing something wrong. Your yeah. numbers aren't right. You're not bidding right. You're, you're doing something wrong before you commit to that payment. Make sure you're making money on the rentals, then go out and buy the piece. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode, but I'd like to take a minute of your time to talk to you about today's sponsor. Are you a GIS professional, land surveyor, or construction professional looking for the best in surveying equipment, software, and service? Look no further than AGS Inc. AGS Inc. is an authorized dealer for Topcon and Sokia Surveying Equipment Dealer and EOS Aero Mapping Products Dealer. With a supply store in Grapevine, Texas to serve the DFW Metroplex, Central Texas presence, and a corporate headquarters in Houston, Texas, H AGS has you covered. Stop by and experience the AGS Inc. difference today. At AGS, it is a service after the sale that counts. AGS is the proud sponsor of the On Grade podcast. On Grade podcast listeners, give these guys a call if you want to talk about bringing precision surveying, layout, drones, GPS, GIS, or 3D scanning, spatial technologies to your company. Thank you. And have a great evening. Back to the episode. Another thing I would add to that is is utilization. Like he's coming off of, yes. Uh, <laughs> skid steers are like the Swiss Army knives of yeah. equipment. You can literally get a dang attachment almost for anything you want to do. 
My recommendation is if you're going to start with a skid steer is I would start with a smooth bucket, a tooth bucket, possibly forks because, you know, you can use that around your shop or whatever. You can load, unload your diesel tank, whatever it is you're bringing to the job site. It's a great tool. We use them on all our skids. We have one set of forks. Um, and then another one I would kind of recommend is the one that you probably could never go wrong with getting is getting one of those dozer blade attachments nowadays. Those new dozer blades they're putting on them, they're really freaking sweet. The with new, the right skid. Yeah, you got to get a bigger end skid. You know, like you're talking like a, at least a 75 Kubota. Like a 95, yeah, I was yeah, just saying 95. Or a two, yeah, a 279 cat, like that size. You want to get something at that range. You don't want to be lower than that. Um, another thing I would consider is, you know, everybody back in the 90s was running backhoes. That was a big deal. But the Mini X has kind of just replaced that completely. Um, I would recommend starting out. So the funniest thing was the first machine I bought was a 350 excavator because I had so much work <laughs> with an excavator. And everybody's like, you bought an excavator before you bought a skid steer? Yes. So then I bought a dozer. Before I bought a skid steer. I didn't buy a skid steer till my third year. Yep. And now I have three. But, I mean, in the beginning, I only, Ken can tell you, I mean, we had literally big iron and then we had one skid. Yep. Because yep. Yeah, we didn't hardly use our skids. I bought yeah. a five-ton mini hoe. I bought an eight-ton mini hoe. And to this day, right now, those are the only two pieces that I own. Everything else we rent because those pieces have complete utilization on them all the time. They go to every job. They go every day. And then a lot of our jobs depending on the size and the scope, we're switching all the time. You know, I'd need five machines to use for all the stuff that I do, but I wouldn't get the utilization on that equipment. So for me and what we do, it doesn't make sense for me to own, you know, say a 315 or a 325 or a 330 because I'm not going to use it on every job. This one's too big. This one's too small. This one, you know, but the eight ton, the five ton goes out damn near every job gets used all the time. So the utilization is a whole lot is high enough on those that I can justify having that. And if it sits for two days or three days in a week, no big deal. It's covering itself and it's making money. But when you get into the bigger gear, you got to consider, well, anything bigger than a 315, you're not hauling behind a dump truck. Well, I guess you could probably haul a 320 in some places. But once you get into anything bigger than that, you're floating that piece of equipment around all the time. You got to look at the cost of that. You rent it, they're going to deliver it. Well, what's the delivery charge? Well, Texas first or hold cat. 150 bucks to bring the machine to your site. I can't even start the truck and drive to the place and pick it up for that. <laughs> right. So if I'm not utilizing it all the time, then I'm paying somebody 1500 bucks to come float that piece of equipment for something that's going to sit in my yard for two weeks out of the month. You got to look at the numbers. Does it make sense now? So yep. look at what you're really going to use the most Buy that. Look at what you can't get when you need it Buy that. But the things that are readily available and that you're not using all the time, you really got to know the numbers and run the math before you go out and pull the trigger and jump on it because it can end up costing you money and it's just useless. But you said something I want to touch on with machine utilization and where a lot of companies go wrong and especially when they're first starting out is they look at a macro level of machine utilization. What I mean by that is they're saying out of this week, my tractor ran three days which means I'm at 60% machine utilization, machine optimization, and I'm close, therefore, to world-class. I believe in our industry, machine utilization world-class standards is 85% and higher. Um, I'm not positive on that stat. I'd have to go look it back up. No, it is, yeah. I remember seeing that. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So the, 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 pro the, the problem that you run into is when you look at it from a macro level and you don't measure it at the, at the micro level, at the details of the day-by-day, those hours you lose day by day add up. And so realistically, what we should be doing is formatting 
the machine to work to maximize 7.2 hours out of an eight-hour shift is what is what we're trying to get done as as leaders of the industry is to is to achieve that 7.2 of eight hours of course minus breaks and lunch that would be 100% efficiency take that down to 80% you're trying to get about six out of eight hours is, is really what you're trying to get six six hours 15 minutes six and a half hours the problem now is when you start pairing machines and you made a really really good point to this when you buy your second tractor that is the accompaniment to the machine you have and what you have to realize is that there are some attachments that are worse than actually buying a machine you can have an attachment that's just so unsuited for the task at hand that it's going to cost you more money to use that and so you want to make sure that if you're going to get an attachment that it's, it's going to be appropriate for what you're going to do but but also that it's not going to slow down the other things which is where you're uh, your, your pairing machine comes into and what you don't want to do is buy a pairing machine spend that money have that at that that liquidity going out every single month and now you've got one machine you know working at let's say 75 percent machine util machine utilization time but now your new machine is only at 30 because you bought it when you weren't ready or it was the incorrectly paired machine and so let's say it, it just for example if you've got a um, I don't know a standard uh, standard dump truck, right? And a standard end dump, right, on site, and you're trying to load it with a mining truck, that's probably not the correct. Now, of course, that's an extreme example, but you know, you can visualize that in your head of a bucket bigger than a truck, trying to load the truck is not gonna equal utilization at all. And so you can actually, you know, bankrupt yourself with that second piece of, of equipment. You can make things really hard on yourself. Oh, definitely. And then excavators are perfect. So you can, you can test this with the excavators when it comes to loading trucks, right? Like you gotta, you got to be too big isn't necessarily always the best option too, because if you're sitting and waiting between trucks all the time, because you're loading it in two buckets and then you're sitting there for 10 minutes, do you really need that 470 to load the trucks out or could a 350 do it and be swinging at the same time? And then you got to look at the costs and all the stuff that goes with it, right? Yeah. I, I think though, in that scenario, I don't know if I would move in a different tractor to move out dirt. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I would probably go ahead and, and, and run with it. I think you'll agree with me on this. We'll, the best thing I can give advice about, Ken can kind of attest to this, is there's nothing that says you can't run a smaller excavator with a bigger bucket as long as you set the tracks right for it and you mm -hmm. set your counterweight right. Now, prime example, we were running, what, a 470 bucket on our 350, and we're loading it like we had a 470, and our hourly rate is 100 bucks cheaper an hour to run that 350 than it was to run a 470, but we're getting that production of 470 we get. 100%. So, that's, I mean, that's you, experience. That's thinking outside the box. I mean, and another thing is, is instead of running a three ripper on your dozer. Which, which let, me, let me add to that. It, the, yeah. the, the thing to make sure we caveat that with is that you're not loading soaking wet material. Exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 and we need to say this because people that are getting into this, I think they may be looking at this as, you know, they were on a job site today that was raining and they went to pick up a bucket, picked up the back end, and, and, and they're not thinking, you know, we're talking about, you know, we're talking dry about material. nice, clean, dry dirt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we're moisture conditioning with that 350, um, it's about half bucket to throw it back in the slot. Yeah. Now, the other thing I would add to this, too, is, is a lot of guys, there's an old school world of thought when you're ripping dirt that you should only run three rippers. Most veil rippers nowadays, cat rippers, too, now are starting to come out in five rippers. I'm going to tell you right now, if you leave all five of your rippers in, you're going to get more mo moisture in that dirt. You're going to get better compaction, and you're going to get the aeration and moisture content you need to get in that material that much faster to 
get your production. So I'm going to show why you have me on this on this on the talk right now. <laughs> Do you know why they're now allowing us, or really not saying just go with three, but they're now doing four and five rippers? Do you know why they're doing that now? What they've changed in the software of the machines, especially specifically at Cat. What they've done is they now have a uh, a process in the machine itself where it doesn't allow it, it reduces track slippage. Truthfully, what they do is they reduce RPMs. The RPMs reduce the track slippage, the tracks grab. But it used to be the reason they said you couldn't do that was because, and, and this goes to people who might be renting equipment that's a little bit older, right? If you got stuff that's a little bit older, you can't really, and I would say older, you know, five years or, or older. And there is some rental equipment out there that's four or five years old. Uh, you got to be careful of that because you can actually overtax that machine. And now you're sitting there trying to run four and five shanks on your ripper. And, and it's just not getting it done. And the, only, uh, the only thing I will say is if you're trying to rip rock, don't do it with more than one. <laughs> don't do <laughs> one ripper. Take that to the bank. Yes. <laughs> rip with the vein, one ripper. Yes. I will tell guys that are starting up, the best machines that I've, in, especially in our area, to start with would be if you're going to get a new doing stuff like I'm doing, I would recommend starting out, you know, you're doing like these little – I don't know, like a Jack in the Box or something, or Starbucks. A great machine to start with would be like a 320 cat excavator and a D5 cat with GPS on it. And then, you know, a nice skid steer that you can blue top with. You don't need a motor grader. Um, you don't need any of that fancy stuff. Honestly, if you're going to get into the site work side of option of construction, getting a skid steer with a roller attachment for it and... One of those, like I just was talking about, laser box blade systems, not even the GPS, but a laser box blade system, is probably going to be the best thing you could do. Those three thing machines will make you money constantly. As long as you can put your work in front of them, you will always make money with those machines. Those machines will always, and they're perfect size because you can do larger jobs with that, but you can also do small jobs with those. It's kind of the happy medium, really, for definitely. Until you get into really big stuff or really small stuff, it's kind of a happy medium setup. So what about the old caveat for the old, old, old school guys that are sitting here with a bunch of white hair and you younger kids are all still colored up uh, <laughs> in your beards? What do you think of the old the old school thought of a track loader does everything? Oh, I was about to caveat that, too. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, how many we got? You know we got some. Yeah, it used to be the track loaders are the way to go, and, I'll, and I, I've got to say this uh, for, for people who are listening to this. Whatever tractor you get, get, get tractors with pilot's controls, the joysticks. That's Everything is going to that completely. You know, uh, Bobcat is, still has the option of the switch where you can use the foot controls. That's being phased out. Yep. I mean, even the old A-frame, the old A-shifter on the left side of the uh, old track loaders, the 962s and 63Bs, you know, they're, they're going away, and it's all pilot's controls. You know that. I mean, I know you always got the newest stuff, and you're always up to date with the tractors. And so, yeah, definitely get into pilot's controls, and don't try to get get off the map and reinvent the wheel with your controls. Make it Make it synonymous so you can go from tractor to tractor to tractor and therefore your your training time for new operators new tractors and new types of work uh you know it, it slows down because you know digging so, a, an eight foot trench versus digging a 16 foot trench are two very very different animals i will say <laughs> i will say a lot of guys where they go wrong is they want to get the big iron immediately and that's i think it's an ego thing i think it's Oh man, I'm I worked for this big mega excavation company for ten years, and I was a superintendent there, and I'm going out on my own. And they think they're going to start doing these huge jobs right off the bat. 
most of the time you're not unless you have that in already up there with that general contractor developer whoever you're working for and they know you've got capital (laughs) to back it up (laughs) they might throw you a decent sized job but if you're you know you're off the street superintendent guy and you don't have that kind of capital listen to what we're telling you (laughs) start off with the smaller projects that yes there's not as much cash in them but if you got two guys out there you can make dang good money on it as long as you get after it like ken's been talking about as long as you're hitting your numbers the 963 is one of my favorite machines in the world i can't run one worth of freaking crap i can do I, i mean i can run it i can finish with it but it's it takes me a lot longer than a d6 or an excavator or a blade i can run the crap out of those but a 963 it's just it's that one machine <laughs> that i have a love-hate relationship with so i don't know if you two want to get on that topic but never even sat in one so i'll leave that to you. <laughs> well <laughs> as far as the 963 i mean i i'm a fan of the 63s you really have to have a lot of time in them in my opinion, to be able to, to blue top with them, you have to have some time in them. But even then, the industry's getting out of seeing the teeth marks. Yep. You know, you know, we're at a point in society now where we don't want to see teeth marks in a dirt anymore. I know. We want to see it smooth, well, perfect, makes, makes flat. Difference. It does. Yeah. It the the presentation there is is, uh, is huge. Um, and and one thing you were talking about earlier, and I want to touch on this with motor graders specifically. I've hired a bunch of guys, uh, and you've hired a bunch of guys. And and here's what we always hear, right? Can you run a blade? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can run a blade. I can run a finished blade. I'm a good blade hand. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, meet me out on the site tomorrow, and we'll... With GPS. We'll, without. <laughs> without GPS. Well, meet, meet me on site tomorrow, and let's, let's go do this. And then, of course, the next day you hear, well, you know, I've done haul roads, and I, you know, I've, 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 you know, I learned how to sat behind one by myself at a, at a show, you know, something like that. Uh, don't buy tractors until you know you have somebody who can run them. Because if you do, that tractor will sit there and it will not run itself. I don't care what. Well, that's not true because there are actually ways that you can run a tractor from a computer station. So I was going to say there's no way you can do it without an operator, but that's not true. The funniest one is watching guys come off of a 140 or a 150 and then putting them on an old school like knuckle buster. Yo, 12. And they, Yo, and they, piano sticks. And, Unless I'm if glad you said piano sticks. You're the only, you're the only other person down here I've heard use yeah, the word piano, piano sticks, north. piano we levers. We don't call them that. We call them knuckle busters down here, bro. Well, you know what? Up north, maybe we didn't drag our knuckles. Well, maybe we cool. had them up here and we weren't beating our knuckles <laughs> on know, the whatever, windshield. Dude, whatever. It is what it is. But, you know, it's funny. Like, if you've got an operator under 35 years old, they can't do it. Like, it's, it's terrible. They like, just don't have the feel. No. I, I, I started on a blade when I was, first time I ran one, I was like 20. But, no, 18. Sorry. I had to do a haul road. <laughs> that makes sense. But all I learned how to do was my boss told me, hey, drop the kingpin. If you need to angle the dirt this way, angle it a little bit. Kick the blade that way. You'll push a windrow that way. That way, just keep it smooth. I don't care if it looks nice, just keep it smooth. <laughs> and it was so we could run scrapers. That's all it was for. It yes. was so I could run scrapers fast. And so I did that. So I never really learned how to finish till actually after I got out of the Army. And then when I went back to excavation, I got taken under my wing by a guy that actually works for me. <laughs> we worked together back in the day. And he's the one that taught me how to run a motor grader. And uh, 
he didn't speak good English back then, but uh, so it was more like hand signals, and we talked in Spanish a lot. Me and him spoke in Spanish a lot. So, uh, but we got it done, you know. And uh, he knows who he is. He listens to the show, and he's a big fan of the show. But you know, it's awesome that when you in that environment, you learn so much from other people, and that's the thing that I want with the show is, and I, that's why I bring guys on like Ken, and I bring you, I brought you on as a co-host is I want to see people succeed in this business. And the biggest crutch in this business is equipment. If you don't know equipment, you are going to screw yourself so bad from the start. Don't go buy, hell, go buy a used skid steer. You can buy a nice used one for, you can buy, what, a two-year-old one with like 2,000 hours on it, maybe 50, 60 grand? I mean, not yeah. that bad. You yes. might even get 40 if you can get the right deal. Yeah, and all you might need to do is change a set of tracks. I mean, you're out three grand. I mean, big deal. So what? And you learned how to put them on when you throw it off the first time. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you're gonna. That's a skill you'll want to master is putting yeah. tracks back on. Or how not to throw them off in the first place. But yeah. Now, yeah, there's that. Guys too. that are at the next stage, though, guys that are past the skid steer now, right? We're getting into, we're, we're going to start digging some ponds and stuff like that. I would recommend looking at like a the biggest rubber track excavator you can get, Mini X, which would be what a I don't even know what that I would think be. You can get like a thirteen ton, fourteen ton now with rubber. We track. got we got to use we got to use small smart numbers with some of these guys because they don't know tons, they know numbers. So I think you should look. You should probably clarify the size of pond you're talking about. Okay, if you're doing like a half acre pond, perfect. You you would you look at eight feet deep, ten yeah, feet deep. Yeah, if you're going eight ten simple. foot deep, dude, you can get literally get away with like a D four. And like, probably like a three twelve. Well, I'll mm -hmm. throw a twist in this. We just did a pond with an eight ton and a skid steer, and it was three quarters of an acre and but twelve you, feet deep. But but you've also been doing this for four years. <laughs> yeah, it can be done. It can yeah. be done. It's it not effective, be done. but it can be done. And you, you know done. what? Your machine utilization would have been great, but did it meet your schedule? Well, that's the thing. And if your machine utilization is great, but you overrun in your schedule, you are losing money. Yep. Absolutely. And so you know that's a great that's a great point. I'm glad you said that because that's the other thing you got to think about when you're buying tractors is, you know, not only are you going to be able to run it, you know, at, at, at world class or or semi world class, but you know, is it is it really there? Is it really what you want? Is that going to be what you need? Another thing we need to talk about that we haven't really hit yet is maintenance. We need to make sure when you start buying your equipment, guys, when you go to the dealer and you buy your machine if you don't really know the brand you're buying like some people just don't um you know you might not get approved through cat when you first start out cat's really hard to get in with once you're in with cat you're good but it's it's hard to get hell i didn't get my first cat for three years <laughs> so <laughs> cat's a tough nut to crack if you can get in with cat right away you're golden but and that was that t-shirt right yeah exactly. <laughs> that you got after three years yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly you know it's it's Make sure when you go to the dealership, this is when you sit down with them. Okay, guys, how much, how often should I change my air filters out? How often should I grease my machines? How often, yes, I get it. If you've been an operator at a company, you've seen it every day. They come out, they grease, they blow your filters out, all that stuff. Just think the same way. When you build your truck that you're going to move your equipment around with, 100-gallon slip tank, toolbox combo is the best way to go. Yep. Eight-foot bed, truck. You don't want a six-foot bed. Take it from me. I have one. Get an eight-foot bed Get truck. Eight foot. Long hard, box where it's at. Your long, truck, long box. Hard, hard box, that thing. Hard wired you, into your truck yep. so that you don't have to pull it into your batteries every time. Yep. And then 
get you a really, really good air compressor. That is the best money you're going to spend is getting a good air compressor. Get all the attachments for your air compressor because you might have rubber-tired machines, so you want to be able to fill the air up on them. Another thing you want to have on you. Cordless grease gun. Cordless Milwaukee. 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 They need to sponsor us. And a lot of grease. And lots and lots of tube grease. The best place to buy it is through the fuel guys. Don't buy it at O'Reilly's. You're going to pay way too much a stick for it. Very true. Yeah. We always get it through the oil companies. The oil companies around town are the best guys to buy fuel from, all that. So if you can get a bulk tank put at your yard or wherever your, your home is, if you're out in the county or whatever, say, get in with your local fuel company, get your red dye permit, and... Have them deliver 10,000 gallons for you or whatever it is you need a month and pay for it once instead of, hey, come out and wet hose me. Hey, come out and wet hose me. Oh, wet hoses are yeah, expensive. They're charging you $2. Or $7.11. Oh. Yeah, they're so charging you. Green. Sometimes they might oh. be charging you anywhere from two to three cents a gallon. That don't sound like much, but you get four or 500 gallons on a job. Yeah, that adds up. You know, I think there's a piece of this that we have to talk about, and I think you were starting to bridge into it, and I'm going to take and cross your bridge employees um and and you had said greasing the tractors keeping them clean having a grease gun it's so imperative that you set a tone with your employees and in your company your company early on that if those tractors aren't working we're not making money if that tractor is not working you're not working if your job is to be an operator and you neglect that tractor you're not greasing it you blow bushings uh, you know, you, you, you wear out the bushings prematurely. You're running it in third. You're running your dozers in third gear all the time. And you're, uh, what, what's the, what was the most recent stat? Um, undercarriages last, it's like two and a half times longer if you keep it at 1.3 or under versus running at three. And if you're running, with, running them at two, it's, it's like one and a half times as long versus running it at three. And so having your employees, having that knowledge yourself, and then making that part of your company culture means that you don't have to do this every single day. You'll have a couple people to discipline early on. Hey, take a day off. You didn't grease the tractor, whatever. Uh, trust but verify. But uh, the other side of this, too, is you've got three guys sitting here talking about construction equipment. And uh, I would say probably together we've got somewhere in a range of 60 years of experience, 70 years of experience between the three of us and how long we've been doing it. The takeaway to that, though, is that if you saw somebody who was 60, 70 years old and they were talking about something, you would say, wow, I'm going to listen to this person. But you need to verify it. You know, a lot of times people grow up with with this stuff that we call tribal knowledge. And it's not fact-based. It's not data-based. It's not anything more than, um, you know, something that somebody heard and they're passing that down. You know, trust but verify for sure. I mean, you know, take what you're, take what you're hearing from people, us included, and say, you know, that makes sense or that really doesn't make sense. And, and you know, go look it up. Go go get your own answer because the best answer is always the one you found yourself. Yep. Well, see, here's the thing I look at, too, from, like, maintenance side of things. Electric grease gun. Perfect example. You give an employee a hand pump grease gun, you tell him to go grease that excavator every day, he's going to be having days where he's not going to feel like greasing that machine. And when it takes him a half an hour of pumping in his forearms for him <laughs> by the time he's done and he's gone through three tubes, He's not having a good time. That $200 grease gun that you bought, he can do the whole machine in 10 minutes and all he's got to do is pull a trigger and it just goes. Yes. That makes his life easy, which then saves you a shit ton of money because he's way more likely to grease everything on that machine when it's easy for yes. him to do it. And you're going to save big money down the road. Perfect. And you got to look at grease too. What do you run for grease in your gear? Do you know? 
Mm, roughly about. No, what kind? Oh, uh, we run we run high pressure. So I've we bought like when we, when I bought my stuff, I'm anal about things, right? So, and I have a guy that works for me, Will. He's awesome, and he he goes down the rabbit hole on finding you know like the stuff. So we run this grease from Chevron. It's five percent Molly. It's like a lithium Molly grease, and it's silver, and it's almost like a metallic silver. But you take your fingers and you dip that in that grease, and you pull your fingers apart, and it's like a spider web. That stuff's so tacky. Now, just to give you like context, you can go buy the best grease you can find, you know, at O'Reilly or whatever. You put that in your excavator, and if you're running hard, especially in a mini hoe, bigger machines are a little more forgiving. But at a mini hoe, you're running and digging hard. You dig eight, nine, ten hours. By the time you get eight, nine hours in, you start getting a couple squeaks. Mm-hmm. You start hearing pins squeal and squeak. That's your indication that that thing needs grease. When guys are in a job and they're trying to get done and they're eight or nine hours in the day already and they got an hour and a half left to go, they're not stopping to grease that pin. They're just hammering through. We started running this stuff, and I'm not saying go two, three days without greasing your machine, but I've seen it where that machine hasn't been greased for two days, three days, and that machine still got grease in there and it ain't squealing. Yeah. So okay, that tube of grease cost me $6 a tube. Another, any other kind of grease you can buy, what, three bucks, four bucks maybe? I'm paying twice as much for the grease, but I'm saving the pins, I'm saving the bushings. So when you're actually, especially as an owner-operator, when you're, you have the time to kind of figure this stuff out, take some time, read up on stuff, and look into that because we found this stuff, and I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing. It's great grease. It's a really good quality product. Sure, it's a little bit more money, but that little extra money saves you a lot, especially if you're going to keep your equipment. And your quality control right there is something that all these all new uh, startup companies need to have is that 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 drive and that fervor to, to really attack the the process driven uh, way of life and say, you know what, this thing wasn't greased. I checked it. I want it greased, even though you know that the tractor's still okay for right now. Yep. You know, it's good to get in there and say, guys, I'm looking at this. Yep. And then they know, and you know, you know how it is. We've all been, you know, at a point, I mean, I'm not an owner I mean, you guys are owners. I'm not an owner, but uh, I'm a senior PM, but you know, we've all been at the point where, you know, we were there, we were at that bottom <laughs> point, you know, I mean, sometimes it's like, man, like you days. said, do I really, really want to get covered in grease with this doggone tractor, you know, cause a person who greased it before you wasn't paying attention. And now there's a, you know, this much grease below the pin and. You know, so it's, yeah, it's definitely. And when you're starting out and it's you and one guy, it's a lot easier to take the time to learn these things and figure out what works, figure out what doesn't and come up with a system. Even if it's only you and one person, put a system in place. Mm-hmm. You know, if that system is you show up the job site in the morning, you go and you fire up the machine after you check your oils and stuff, you grab the nozzle from your slip tank, stick it in the, tr- in the machine, start fueling and then walk around and grease the machine. Two things happen. When you grease that machine in the morning, you're looking at all these nipples and you're looking at everything and you'll notice, oh, there's a nick in this hose. Oh, something's missing here. Oh, there's a bushing out. You see all this stuff first thing in the morning when you go and do it. Not at night when it's dark. First thing in the morning when the machine's warming up. And you're fresh. And you're fueling and you're fresh. People, you notice these You're things. right. People want to do this at the end of the day at 3.30, knock off for an yep. hour and a half to grease and you know check a machine out. That's time, but also yep. you're tired. Yeah. Yeah. We park them at night. Next morning you show up, first thing in the morning, fire the machine up, let it warm up, fuel it while you're doing it, and then start going around and greasing because you're looking at things. Not to mention, it's now 7.30 or 6.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. The dealership's open. You notice a hose with a nick in it or something that's messed up, 
you can run there and get it. 10 o'clock at night, not so much. Maybe it's more convenient for planning purposes to go there and get it in the morning. But at the same time, when it's 8 or 9 or 10 at night and it's dark, you're not going to notice those things too, right? So right. get in a routine, get in the habit, and start doing it. Services and maintenance. That's huge. The, last, the, lot, the new Bobcat Skid Steer I bought two years ago. You know what the service interval on that was? 750 hours. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now, that's what they're telling. It's good to 750. You talk to any old diesel mechanic that's been around for a while that knows anything about anything, you service your machine at 250 hours. Yeah. I'm... You talk to other guys that are whatever, maybe 500. I, personally, everything gets serviced at 250. That's just what I do. Oil, oil gets changed at 250. Yes. Every time, don't matter. To me, oil is cheaper than a motor. That's how I look at it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe... The new guy, the, you know, the manufacturer's got it right. But I also look at it from, if I was the manufacturer, and if I tell the guy to change the oil every 250 hours, is stuff going to break and am I going to sell parts? Maybe there's a, you know, and may, maybe it's not like that. But for me, I look at it, oil's cheap. It's cheaper to put oil in it than it is to change parts. It is. And the other side of this is that you got a guy up there, you know, maybe seven in the morning or five o'clock at night. You may be tired you, from, from one reason or another, right? You're starting your day, you're ending the day, you might be tired. You take that fuel cap off to put fuel in your tractor and it sits down on top of the tractor. Well, if they don't put it gasket up, you've just grabbed impurities, put that in your fuel system. Uh, same thing with like the oil cap. You know, you go to put oil and you set your oil cap down and you're not careful where it's at or what happens? People go to fuel up or they go to put oil in and what do they always forget? The 710 cap. They never put the 710 <laughs> cap back on. For those of you who don't know, 710 is oil upside down. It's, a, <laughs> it's an old running joke. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's important to do that service. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I know they're saying 750, but like even on like diesel trucks, they say every 10,000 miles. I do mine about every seven just because it's a diesel and repairing them if, if, that, if those things go down you can't afford to have them go down because now if it goes down you're paying for that truck that tractor plus and now time. you've got a rental yeah. rental or, or lost, lost time, time. Yeah. And that's a double both, hit yeah double whammy but i don't know and i'm sure most people know this but we'll say it anyways idle time idle time is the worst thing that you can do to a diesel engine if that machine is sitting there idling for no reason, you are killing that motor. Yes. If you're idling your truck all day like I do, you're killing the motor. I have three times as many idle hours on my truck as I do driving hours, but that's what it is. <clears throat> I got a high auto switch put in there. You know, is it the right thing to do for the truck? Eh, who knows? But you're you're putting a bit of load on that. But on a diesel engine, when you're not when that engine's not under load and it's idling, you're washing down the cylinders. And in English, what that means. It's not burning all the diesel off. So it's putting diesel in the engine. It's not burning it all off. And little bits of diesel is going down past the rings and getting in your oil. So you're essentially diluting your oil in the engine. And when you're doing that, you're getting losing lubrication. You go to the whole 750-hour service interval. By the time you get to that point, now that oil's broken down and, and not as good and diluted as it was, you start ruining bearings and things. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it is, right? So idling equipment, don't do it. Fire it up, warm it up. It ain't running. Shut it down. Shut it down. Yeah, and don't leave your bucket sitting in the air. Don't leave implements sitting in the air. That is hard on your hydro. What people don't realize is that that stuff has weight. That gravity is pulling that against and You the, look like an idiot. You look like you're a noob. You totally, <laughs> like you've got the big pointed hat that says dunce down the middle. You're in the corner asking to have forgiveness. Best way, you know? to, best way to do it is, you know you got trucks coming. Get a full bucket. Set it down on the ground. You see him come up, lift it up, 
And as soon as he's coming up, drop a bucket of dirt so he knows when to stop. But that's also five years five years of loading trucks every day. So yeah. <laughs> you know, but the thing that I want to talk about next um is we need to talk about financing uh for equipment. Now a lot of guys going into the business right now, interest rates are really high right now. Um you know, I was looking at a cat dozer a couple months ago and they sent us the deal and what was it, two years ago we were getting zero percent, you know, no problem all day long. It was almost eleven. Mm. I mean it's just <laughs> you know, I mean it's just it's high, man. How so can, how can somebody afford that? That's what I'm wondering. Um you know, you're better off going through a credit union because credit unions tend to be a little bit lower on their APRs. Um, the other thing you guys got to think about is you won't have business credit yet. So you're going to have to personally guarantee these loans. That's another thing you need to start thinking about because you're like, oh, okay, well, if I, you know, the business folds up, I'll just bankrupt it. Well, that's not how a personal guarantee works, guys. No. So when you, when you, if you have a CFO, you have a personal guarantor and yep. guarantor and yes. If you, if you have anything in finance on a business for the first five years of the business, you are going to personally guarantee it. And I can tell you right now, it keeps me up at night when we don't hit billing for that month or something happens. I go, oh boy, because <laughs> my name's on a lot of shit. Yeah. So if the shit hits the fan. Uh, Captain's going down. Yeah. The ship. Yeah. The, uh, the ship might be going, but guess what? You're, uh, you're sitting at the steering wheel going with it. So. Make sure, guys, when you're buying, don't bite off. What did we talk about on the last two episodes? And we said the same thing. Don't bite off more than you can chew. So if you know you're going to get into excavation business, don't, you know, we're getting into a lot of technical stuff, which is great. I'm not trying to deviate from that. But we need to think about big picture here to help these guys out. So make sure that you buy the machines you need. So if you know you're going to get into pond work, you're going to get into farm work, stuff like that. Great machine to start with, skid steer. Um, absolutely mulching bucket, you know, a nice tooth bucket, nice smooth bucket, dude, you can do driveways with the damn thing. You can do a pad with it. You can do whatever you want. That pet, that smooth bucket on a skid steer will finish just as good as anything else. And from and there, they're really, they're, they're, they're versatile. The, the, the learning curve for a skid steer is, is amazing. I mean, yeah. you can really learn how to use a skid steer in a hurry you can from that point. Just learning kid, how to use yeah. any kid in a skid steer, give them 30 minutes and they're running that machine. Give them half a day, and they're they're productive with it. You give them a month in that machine, and they're doing damn good work if yeah. they've got the mindset of wanting to learn it. What's well, amazing is the kids these days and some of the younger operators start out so natural looking because they have such great hand eye coordination. Mm-hmm. But From now you have games. to, yes, now you have to say, well, now you got to move dirt. Which is it's it's a it's a whole now you got a whole different train of thought. Now it's no longer just mindlessly you know droning out pulling levers thinking about supper. Now you got to think about which way you're pushing that dirt. Well, what's funny is I think you and me and maybe him, I don't know if you've hit it quite yet, but you and me can get in a hoe and load trucks for eight hours and not even realize we loaded 20 trucks. <laughs> you know I'm right. Eight hours, 20 no, trucks? I'm, not, I'm, just, you know, I'm just being funny, but, I mean, you, you or I could load 200 <laughs> trucks probably yeah, eight-hour day, yeah. not even notice we did it, and it, go, wow, it's already 3 o'clock? Man. I didn't even ate yet. And then you're screaming down to the new guy that's been like jumping to get on it. You're like, hey, dude, come on. And you go to lunch and you come back and he's loaded three trucks. And you're like, dude, yes. you, I've been gone for 30 minutes. How many trucks you load? Oh, three? Right. More like 10, man. You should right. have done like 10. It's three minutes a truck, man. 
Three minutes yeah. tops. Like, and that's it. Three minutes tops, and, and perfect. Great point. As a, as as a new owner, and you know this obviously. Know your cycle times. Mm-hmm. How much how much duration? What what duration do you need to load a truck? So it's pulling in, it's getting in a position, loading the truck, truck leaves out. And now when the next truck starts to pull in to, to get into position, that's your cycle time. That's how long does it take you to load per truck? Now, how many trucks per hour? How many yards per hour? How many let's, loads per let's day? Let's dive into this a bit. Oh, a lot and, of new guys starting out. Hold on. Let's make a note of compaction and swell factors. I want to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 That one cost me a lot of money. <laughs> it, 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 I've seen it cost a lot of people a lot of money because when you're paying 300 bucks, you know, a load or, you know, whatever you're paying, you know, whatever your region is paying Man, for. This is a 700 yard hole. Why do I have 850 yards with the truck? <laughs> yeah. I did my length with I, height. I did it four times. What the hell? And then they're like, I keep doing the math the same way. And it's giving me the same answer. Well, that's how math works. <laughs> how come so, I didn't get the pe- enough select for the pad? Yep. Oh, that one. Hey, let's I'm, let's dive into this a bit because this is something that you starting out. There's not a lot of information on this. So if you don't know dirt and you would you didn't start working out because I didn't know dirt when I started. I had four hours of seat time in an excavator when I started my company, and I had to whoa, learn. Whoa, oh, we yeah. got to circle back to that one. Maybe off off mic, but we're, I got to figure that one out. So there was a lot of lessons learned the hard way. In four in, hours, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a hard four hours to go from that. To, hours, but yeah. And this tells you how dumb I am, is I've been doing this for 20-something years, and I don't own a company. And he took him four hours. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. like you, you, you can't find a lot of this information, your production rate, cycle time. Right. So simple stuff. How long should it take to load a truck? Ten minutes. To get the truck into sight, back it into place, load it, get it back off the site. How long is that truck going to be on the site? And then how far is it driving? How long is it going to take to get there? Dump and come back. You're figuring out how much dirt you got to move. You got to think about that stuff. Yes. You Google Maps it in a car, it's going to be, oh, it's a 22-minute drive. The dump truck ain't doing it. 1.5. Yeah. Whatever that time is, multiply it by 1.5. And then keep track of that too because you've heard it and then you've heard it and I've seen it Ooh. where guys are hauling for you, but they're really hauling for two people. Yes. And they pull into your site, grab a load, go dump, and then go to the next site, grab a load, dump, come back to you. And you're getting billed the whole time if you're not paying attention. And as shitty as it is to say, that happens a lot. That's why you Keep don't. Keep track of that. If you don't have to do hourly, guys, don't do it. Do it by load. Because if you do it by load, they're going to haul balls. Yep. And I'll tell you, we don't do it. If it's on site, we and do it. And they're going to make sure it's loaded. And Ken can't vouch on this. I don't play with these truckers about it. I'm like, hey, dude, yo. You sent me a half load of select out here today. Yeah, I want my money. Yeah. I better have three loads out here tomorrow. Yeah. Because they shorted me three loads. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the thing, guys. A lot of people don't realize when you're building building pads, the biggest things that'll happen is there's different types of materials. A lot of times you have to import. You have to specialize, like, especially, especially here in Texas. I don't know about up north, but like here, you might have to bring in 57 stone. You might have to bring in flex base. You might have to bring in select fill. I know up north, it's a lot of rock, you know, it's crushed stone, whatever it is that they run up north. But the same concept applies. You have to know how everything works. So when you're ordering flex base, it's by the ton. So you take your takeoff quantity, which is length times width. Hang on, I'll say it nice and slow for everybody listening. When you want to quantify something in construction, you do what's called the length times width times height divided by 27. 
And if you're wanting to, that's going to give you yards. That's going to give. Yards. That's going to give you actually. If you want to get super technical, Mr. Keywood over here is going to vouch on this. That's actually technically bank yards. Cubic <laughs> yards is when it's dug. Bank yards is a rough. T- is your actual takeoff. So when you dig it out of the ground, that's when you become cubic. So what you do is when you're putting it onto a truck, that is actually a term that nobody really uses in the engineering world, but in the excavation world we use it. It's called TCY. It means trucking cubic yards. If you are hauling off common fill, you want to go into the soils report on the geotech and look at the bore logs. And when you look at the bore logs, it's going to show you what type of material you're in what kind of swell factor you have on that material. It'll actually show you. It's in the notes. It'll say, this is the swell factor we've been finding on this job. You take that quantity, because there's spots in DFW, you might only have to do 1.4 for trucking yards. There's parts of DFW you might have to do 1.8. just depends on where you're at. When you do that, now you guys are going 1.8. Well, what you're doing is you're taking the number that you just did by doing that math, right? And you're multiplying that by 1.8, and it's going to give you a difference number. And what you do with that difference number is you apply that to your takeoff yardage, and that'll give you your TCY. So if you have, say, 400 yards is your takeoff, you're going to multiply that by 1.4, let's say. And, 560. Yeah, 560. Thanks for the math there, Holmes. So <laughs> it's uh, 560, right? I'm old, Sheldon. Now, now, most of the time, guys, when you do a takeoff, though, it's not going to be an exact quantity like Ken just and me just did. It's going to be like some round-off number, like 383 or something, right? So what you're going to do is you're still going to apply that concept, and you're going to round it depending on what size trucks you're running. So if you're running tandems, you're going to figure 14 yards. If you're running big trucks, you're going to figure 20 and you're going to round it to the nearest 20th or the 14th whatever it is that you're doing now i know up north they got them super tandems they got all sorts of crazy size trucks up north but down here we run typically run tandems super tandems or end dumps and what you do is you figure that quantity now when you're loading guys i'm not saying i hope dot ain't listening but uh if you can get that extra bucket in the truck (laughs) Get the extra bucket in the truck. When the truckers come back and bitch about you loading, means you're loading them right. Or they come up the door. They open yeah. the door and start yelling. Yeah. And when you when they come up saying, "Hey man, you're loading me too much," you know you're doing it right, guys. That's the exact amount of dirt you want on that truck <laughs> because that means you're getting every penny you can out of that load. Now the truckers listening, I'm sorry, guys. We weren't trying to hurt you or anything here, but we're just trying to make it fair because you guys make it a lot of money. So we're just trying to make it fair for you as well. Well, the other thing on this on trucking is to make sure you have really good accountability. And so you might be smart to pay somebody. If you know a a high school kid or whatever, pay them 10 bucks an hour to stand there and write down what truck number is coming in, exactly what time it was in, exactly what time it left. And, uh, you know, take that, count your tickets and consolidate it every day you're not going to be trucking every day your entire life you're going to truck every day for a week every day for a week and a half it's not that difficult but i tell you what is difficult is when you end up in a lawsuit two years down the road a year down the road and you're trying to reconcile all your trucking tickets now you've lost because you can't go back and find the people what if the people that were there aren't there anymore and they don't have that information you know and at that point if you don't have the correct documentation to back it up you're the you're, best part lost. is if you if you work with a good trucking company, guys, they're going to send you scanned copies 
of the tickets with the invoices. Yeah. So when you receive that in your email, make sure you save that. Don't delete it. That needs to go into the job file because you're legally supposed to, on most construction sites, maintain your files for five years for that job in case of lawsuits, in case of any kind of issues that arise. I'm going to circle back to what you said right quick. Just We know it, so I'm just going to clarify it and make it simple for everyone. The, the 1.8 number that he's talking about, the swell factor, the reason for that is when the, say, clay, for example, is in the ground, it's compacted. When you dig it out, you break it up and you fluff it up, and you're adding air to that material. So when it's in the ground, it's compressed and it's compacted, and there's no air, no fluff in there. You dig it out, you're fluffing that dirt up, you're getting less material in. So that 1.8 is saying that when you take a cubic yard of packed clay out of the ground, by the time you put it in the truck, it's now 1.8 cubic yards of volume. Not dirt, but the volume it takes is 1.8 cubic yards. And when you're bringing in material that you're compacting, you're doing the same in reverse. So if you're compacting select into the ground, it's going to come in at 1.8 and you're going to compact it down to one. So when you do your takeoff, okay, I need 400 cubic yards to fill this area. If you're compacting it, it's actually going to be times 1.8 of how much you got to haul in. So when you're doing your quotes and your numbers, when you're starting out, get used, wrap your head around that and do some research on it to learn it better. But that's the, the simple, quick version of it. One thing I've always done is I just used, I, I, I know that you guys are talking about, you know, 1.4 versus 1.8 geographically. I always just go off a standard 1.4 uh, when I, I when I have, when I go from the ground to the, to the, uh, to the bank next to me. And then 1.7 when I'm going into the truck. On the compaction side of it, though, that's a little bit different because if you're compacting common fill, yes, that's going to be about a 1.7. But if you're compacting something a little bit finer, like a flex or a select, I always use like a 1.4 for a compaction factor when I'm messing with flex and select. So I learned a hard way with select on that, actually. We did that one job you and I did. We, we had to bring in, I think it was like 60 loads of select. <laughs> and we went over 20, I think. It was 100. It was because <laughs> yeah. uh, when Daniel did it, he did 1.4. And I kept telling him, hey, dude, do 1.8 on that select. They're going to short load us. That's the other thing you got to think about. They're going to short load you, especially if it's higher end material. The only thing that, like select, they always short you on. But now flex base, oh, dude, you'll get a full truck every time because they get paid by the ton. Oh, and real quick, we didn't talk about this. Uh, caveat off of what you just talked about, help these guys out. When you're running flex base or any kind of rock material, guys, it's by the ton. So what you want to do is take your cubic yardage that you got on your takeoff, multiply that by two. And when you multiply that by two, that'll actually give you what your tonnage is. So always remember. Damn close. Yeah. You can go online. You can find these tables if you know how to look for them. That's a lot of things the guys starting out don't know how to look. So you can just go on. Look up fluff factor for material. They'll have list every different type of material is going to fluff to this. If you got a geo report, even better. You'll get the actuals on that. And then same thing. When you can go on just about every like rock suppliers website. They're going to have weights. They're going to have all that stuff on there. So you just got to know to look for it. Because in the beginning, I didn't know to look for it. And that one cost me a couple grand the first go around. And I definitely never forgot that lesson. Well, they hurt when they cost it. Oh, you know, it's four figures. It, it, it stings, yeah. you know. I mean, it may not hurt, but it stings when it's a, a four-figure out. When you're small, four figures. It hurts. hurts. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Uh, and, and following up into something else, um, always, 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 if you're getting into dirt, when you get done with something, verify your grades. Yeah. Get them shot. It, it, it's going to be worth the 400 bucks, 500 bucks to have a surveyor come out and run you a topo. Uh, or get in, get yourself a drone. Like I, the DJ, DJI has a, uh, has a, well, there's a company that pairs with DJI where they do drone 
uh, topos. Yeah. Get yourself a good topo because you know what's going to happen. Concrete guy is going to come back a month later. The uh, GC is going to come back, and I say that me being the GC, I'm a GC. Uh, you know, so verify, always verify your grades with the topo because let's, that can save you a ton of money in the long run. Let's summarize some stuff since I've been here. So if you're starting out and you're buying equipment, if you're buying new, you can buy any brand you want. It's all brand preference. Personally, I think we, everyone that's in the business can pretty well agree that cat does make some of the top gear in the market, but when you're going to buy and if you're not in a big city or you're somewhere else, you, the one thing you have to look at, and that's what I did when I started what kind of service are you going to get from the dealership? Yeah. Because if you're a small guy that has one machine or two machines, and if your machine goes down, they all go down. doesn't matter what you buy. They all break down. Things mess up. What kind of service are you going to get from that dealership after you've bought the product? Myself, I wanted to buy a cat. I went to the cat dealership three times in three weeks. Couldn't get a sales guy to return my phone call. I got pissed off. So I went to every other dealership, demoed every other machine on the market. Didn't like any of them. The Bobcat dealer was on my way back from my or from one of the other places and i never wanted to buy a bobcat hated them and i was driving by and i'm like passing it and i'm like well i tried everything else what the hell so i wheeled in there i demoed a bobcat machine took it out for two days it was all right wasn't the you know in my personal opinion it wasn't necessarily the the best machine on the market but it was all right it did a pretty good job called the sales guy up hey i'm all done with this machine you know i'll bring it back for a demo and stuff oh what do you think about it i'm like "Ah, i'm gonna look around a little more well we don't really need it just hang on to it like, what do you mean? Ah, I'll come get it when I need it. You just use it, whatever. I had that machine for three weeks before he came pick it up. No charge, nothing. Three weeks go by. He calls me, or I call him up. I'm like, well, kind of liking this thing now. I think I might hang on to it, you know, whatever. Like, so I go in and sit down, and I'm like, no bullshit. What happens when this machine goes down? It's under warranty. He's like, that machine goes down, I'll have you a loaner, same day. Really? Yeah, 100%. Not contract, not written, not guaranteed. They don't have to do this. First time that machine goes down, two months later, call the sales guy up. My sales guy's landed. Landon, man, machine's down, something's messed up. I forget what it was, it was something stupid. He literally loaded a brand new E50 on his trailer, drove it to the job site across the city I was at, unloaded that machine, picked up mine, brought it back. I had it for three weeks while mine was getting fixed. That's the kind of service you're looking for as you're starting up. That's the important thing. You need thing. that. The, the, you the need brand is not important when you're starting. It's the service that's going to make or break you when you're starting out. So if you're buying new, search for service. That's what you need. That's what you're going to want. Yeah, that's a great point. Where'd that come from? Uh, our sponsor, Ooh, AGS, nice. who has their ad inserted already in here. Nice. <laughs> Advanced Geodetic Surveys. So uh, Joey hooked us up, and uh, he's a big fan of the show. But uh, so... I want to just say thanks, Ken, for coming on. Thank you, guys. Appreciate and, you uh, uh, listening to my ramblings. <laughs> no, man, I loved having you on. I'm going to have you back on. We I got mean, about it's... we got about five minutes left. We'll talk and uh, we'll cut off. But I want to I want to talk a little more, not about machines anymore. I want these guys to understand that being in the excavation business is not a bad thing. It, there is a stigma in construction. Yes, people are. You know, the stigma has been for years. Oh, they're dumb. They're ditch diggers. They're felons. They're, you know, criminals. Some of the best people I know are in our industry. Honestly. I've met some brilliant people I've met sitting some in a tractor. Amazing people in our industry. And I want you guys to know that listening, that the three of us sitting here, none of us fit that category. 
hey, we came out of high school, we went in the military, we served our country. That's we true. could have gone any other direction we wanted to, but we came into this field. And when we came into this field, for me, I'll be honest with you two, you two know, I thought I was coming back and just go to college and work work during the day and go to college at night. I thought I was going to be a cybersecurity analyst making 125 a year. And uh, got through UTD and go, whoa. I went to Raytheon for a week and went, this is fucking terrible. I'm never doing this. I got to wear a fucking suit and tie. Oh, hell no. And then like you, you know, you went crane side for a little bit. And oh, hell no. And, you know. It's just, you know, there's nothing wrong with this industry and you can make a great living as an operator. I mean, you really can. Yeah. I know guys that make a hundred grand a year operating equipment. Yep. I know guys that make way more than that. Oh yeah. No, but I'm just saying just doing normal work. I'm not talking yeah. about working in the mines or anything. Just normal excavation work. Yeah. You can make a damn good living at it. If you get in the mines, oh God, you're really making money. Or you go over there with like Kiwit or one of them big boys doing the big highway work or the crazy jobs they do. Or if you can master a blade. Yes. I'll, t- I'll tell you the story, and I don't think this will be in the show, but it was funny. We sent a guy uh, who used to work with us uh, uh, out to uh, an I-20 job to do some blade work out there. And he got out there, and he's like, yeah, it's done, it's good. I went out there and looked at it, and I'm like, man, this is terrible. This is absolutely <laughs> horrible. Well... I forget, I, I don't know why I was going here, but it was something to do with the blades. But anyway, I told Brandon, I was like, he's, I was like, no, I was like, I'll get it done. He's like, well, do you have the GPS? I said, no. He said, well, you got a laser? Uh, no. No, but I'll get it. And I freehanded that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love running a tractor. I love running a tractor. And actually, I freehanded it. Then we checked it, and it was money. It was spot on. It was within a half a tenth. It wasn't even all the way through. Like, you know, like normally with the laser where it beeps really, really slow if you're like within a tenth, you know? <laughs> yeah, Every shot, pretty, I'm like, I didn't want to tell him, but I'm like over there and I go, yeah, he was picking it up. He was picking it up a little bit, or he was like, I'm trying to mess with him, you know? And like, he's like, he's like, how's it looking? I was like, it looks, looks all like right. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a good time, man. You know, and dude, it's so good to have you here, man. It's been, yeah, been a minute. I haven't gotten to see you forever, but yeah, I haven't really like physically seen you in shit a year. But last time I probably no, I stopped at the office probably about four or five months ago. Yeah, that's maybe true. Five, yeah, maybe five six months ago. But you know, guys, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Uh, Ken, I appreciate you coming on, and thanks for having uh, me. Devin's back finally, so yeah, yeah. you know. Didn't glad die. you're feeling better. You know, he, he got he, d- he got over his cold he had. So glad you're back. <laughs> had a man bro. cold. It was bad. <laughs> you know, it's bad when you're in bed and you're like, dude, don't talk to me. That's Just worse than childbirth. I'm, I'm here telling to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can get hit by bulls. I can fall off excavators. But if I get a you know I get COVID or something, don't don't bug me, dude. I'm sleeping for <laughs> three four days. Yeah, that's a rough one. But hey, guys, uh, give us five stars on Spotify. Please like and subscribe. Uh, episode 12 will be coming out in uh, two weeks from today, or three weeks. No, two weeks. Uh, we'll be recording that episode, and we're going to have Bobby Dixon on from Dixon Erosion Control. He's going to talk to us about how he started up. and Bobby's good people. Yes, he is. And um, we're going to talk to him, and uh, he's going to kind of give us some wisdom. He's been in the erosion control side of the business for about 25 years, so... Uh, Guys, uh, you got anything else you want to add? Like, share, subscribe, leave some comments. If you want to know something, you want to learn something, you want us to talk about something, drop it in the comments. We'll uh, we'll happily uh, 
explode your brain on all the uh, non-smart things we know. <laughs> Guys, also, uh, if you go on our Spotify, I put uh, questions on the bottom of them now. If you are watching on YouTube, uh, we do leave questions on the bottom of our Spotify about what you want to talk about on our episodes. So just click them. Uh, we have polls that we put on each episode. They last about a month, and we'll be able to help you guys uh, help us figure out what we want to talk about next. So thanks for watching, guys, and we'll uh, see you next time. Bye.